On ABC Radio, this is Overnights. Amy Powney is a fashion designer. She's featured in the documentary Fashion Reimagined. And she's done an amazing job because what looked like an impossible task she actually managed to pull off. It took her a few years, but single-handedly has made fashion whole fashion industry look at the way they are making and distributing their clothes. Very good morning, Amy. And the first thing I should say is congratulations. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. You made me sound definitely, I think, a lot more shining than I think, but thank you. Uh, after, watching your, <laughs> after watching the documentary, Amy, I can tell you, you shine very brightly and it's an incredible yeah, thing well, you've done. So, you. so well done. Well, look, let's just go back to the start because this was a, a task you set yourself. You're already a fairly popular and award-winning designer before you took on this task. Uh, and you you started to look into the footprint of the fashion industry, and you were quite yeah. alarmed by what you found out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. I guess I'd sort of been quite aware of a lot of things um, from being a student, you know, uh, sweatshops and kind of the social issues in fashion. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, kind of as my career progressed and became you know more successful and got sort of asked to make more things and more things and more things. Um, yeah, I guess I kind of just sort of applied logic and thought, hold on a minute, this seems too fast and too much stuff and, you know, um, kind of delve deeper and deeper and just sort of realised how extensive fashion's footprint is, you know, in, in you know, it's carbon footprint and climate change. And, mm. um, yeah, people don't really know much about that. And, um, look, the, yeah, it's kind of one of the biggest contributors. And Yeah, yeah. look, the, I was alarmed. The statistics in your in the documentary that I saw were, you know, I had no idea about it. I think it made, you made the point, or the filmmakers made the point, that if the fashion industry was a country, it yeah. would be the third highest producer. Yeah, This is above uh, America and China. Oh, sorry, but just yeah, just below yeah. America and China would be the the third greatest producer yeah. of um, pollution, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing you have to remember is like polyester is just fossil fuels, so it's the same fuel that you put in your car. Yep. You know, cotton is industrial agriculture. You know, everything is being shipped and transported everywhere, which is just more fossil fuels, more packaging, etc. And I guess like when we talk about climate change, we talk about the kind of big stuff, which is agriculture and fossil fuels but the truth is within those numbers and in that kind of those big industries fashion is sitting there quite highly it's just it's kind of it's not hidden in there it's just people don't connect the two things Um, you're right and look one of the alarming statistics and i had no idea about this at all i had not even considered it was that 33 percent of the microplastics in the oceans come from uh from fiber from uh, unnatural fibers and just from us washing those fibers in our washing machines Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so fashion's the biggest contributor to that. Um, but also, you know, you think about polyester, like, you just, people don't connect it. I mean, I didn't at the beginning, but, you know, it is fossil fuel. It's basically crude oil. It's what you put in your car. Then we make it into garments. And then three out of five end up in landfill within the first year because it's so cheap. And then what you have to remember is it also doesn't degrade, you know. It doesn't biodegrade. It takes a really long time. And there isn't actually a solution yet to repurposing polyester back into polyester. So it's a pretty... Um, pretty crazy statistic and the thing that gets me that like again i've only started thinking about lately is like how old are fossil fuels and i sort of researched it recently it's like 250 to 350 million years like it's insane that we take it out the ground we turn it into polyester and then we throw it in landfill you know within a year and 
yeah, it's just mad, isn't it? It does seem rather mad, you know, but a lot of what yeah. we do on this planet does seem I know, rather I crazy. know, I know, yeah. I know. Look, so, so anyway, you started out, like we said, and it was your mission yeah. you, that you set yourself was to create a fully sustainable uh, clothing line. Now, to do that, you obviously had to source all your old. We had to track your sources and your supply chains yeah. and stuff. How f- hard or how easy was it to you know, work out exactly uh, where all the fashion was coming from, where all the, the, the wools yeah. and the fibres that make up the fashion that you're creating? How was it to track hard to track down where that actually stuff, where it comes from? Yeah, I mean, it's super hard. It's super complex. Like, I think if you just worked in an industry where you use, like, one raw material, but in fashion, we just use so many different ones. So, you know, we weren't just tracking kind of one thing. We were tracking, you know, all of our different yeah. fibres. And I think the statistics are something like an average garment goes to about five stages. But, I mean, that's for quite a simple garment. You know, that might be like a T-shirt or a shirt or something. But if you've got coats and, you know, kind of complex garments that have two or three different fabrications and trims in them, I mean, they've travelled around a lot. Um, you know, you've got to think you've got to grow, let's say it's cotton, for instance, you have to grow the crop and you have to weave it, spin it, dye it, finish it cut it into a garment, manufacture it, send it, ship it. And, you know, if you've got multiple fabrics going in there, you know, you've got multiple versions of that. And the thing is, we've chased cheap labor around the globe and also depending on the climate, you know, we're just, everything is in just a disarray of like everything's being produced in all different countries. So for instance, where you are, you know, that's a merino wool is, you know, huge over there because you've got the climate for it. Um, but, you know, cotton is anywhere from like India to Turkey and, and many more China and more places. Um, and so it's all over the globe. But, you know, you might be growing something in one country or getting the wool, let's say, from, from Australia. But then you're going to be spinning it in like Italy and then they're going to send it back to China to get manufactured. And there's just like zero connection between like stage by stage. So like everything is just traveling around the globe in this crazy way with kind of no no system behind it. When you went to research and you asked some of the suppliers uh, if they knew where they sourced their materials from, did you get a straight answer? Did they know? (laughs) And there's a really brilliant bit in the film where, you know, we're at Premier Vision, which is like a giant kind of fabric sourcing fair. And there's a bit in the film where we, you know, with me and my colleague Chloe, we're over there and we just assume, you know, come on, let's go to the biggest, you know, fabric fair in the world and let's start having conversations. And I mean, literally two to three days in, we were just sunk our head in a giant glass of wine because like every single, because these are fabric supplies, you know, they're selling me like meters of fabric. You know, we asked them where they were getting their, you know, raw materials from and they just had no idea. And it has shifted a little bit since then because we're going back kind of six years since then. Um, because we've been asking questions and other people started asking questions, but I mean, it literally was like they just looked at us. <laughs> we were completely crazy even for asking the question. Um, yeah, it's a pretty big disconnect. Yeah. But look, six years later, and yeah. those they're starting to take a little bit of notice that the fact that we are seeing designers and labels that are starting to venture into sustainable clothing. And I got an idea. It's yeah. because you started putting a lot of pressure on them six years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were definitely kind of some of the first people to do it. And, you know, we weren't the first. There were, you know, a handful of other brands that have been doing it for a really long time, actually. Um, But, yeah, I think since we started doing it, you know, and a few other brands leading the way, too. um, And then since then, kind of, that's had a lot of profile, a lot of coverage, and it's kind of made other brands think, you know, that they need to start doing something. And, of course, 
the customers asking for it now. I mean, yeah. I think we only have to look at this year to realise climate change is absolutely happening. And, you know, so I think customers are wanting more information and transparency from brands. So I guess that pressure is making people, you know, brands ask the question too. Yeah, consumer-driven, which you'd imagine it would yeah. be because it's a, probably a lot more yeah. con- of concern to consumers and to people who buy these things than the people who make them who are profiting from them. Which is, yeah, which is also kind of mad because I, I guess the way I look at it is if you're selling something we should have like a duty of care on that you know it seems mad that people can just make stuff and sell it without any responsibility (laughs) agreed and it's funny because a lot of other industries there is that responsibility um but certainly not in the fashion industry so maybe it's good that you gave me a bit of a kick up the bum because they needed to lift (laughs) their game Uh, let's just quickly there were six requirements for you to create your um your uh, sustainable clothing yeah can you go through a few of those? I mean, well, look, one yeah. of them is animal cruelty. You were very aware of that. Yeah. You were also, you were yeah. aware of the, the, the footprint that it created and the fact that you tried to keep it into as few countries as possible with the processing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so then uh, the other one is organic. So, like, when you think about... When you think about natural fibres like cotton, hemp, linen, etc., you have to remember they come out of the ground just the same way as your food does. It's, no, it's literally no different than the way we grow, you know, wheat or something. And so we think about, like, eating organic food, right, because we know it's better for the soil, we know it's better for the land, we know it's better for us. You just have to literally shift that, like, application over to, to your, you know, the harvesting of fibres, basically. It's the same thing. You don't want to be spraying all the soil with fertilisers. You don't want to be using GMO crops. You don't want to be destroying the soil, right? Because car- the soil is a you know a giant help to sucking out carbon if there's healthy soil. So organic is like super important when it comes to natural fibres. Um, and then when you come to cellulose fabrics like viscoses or lyocells, they all come from trees. Um, and I guess you just have to apply the same concept as like when you buy paper, you always look for that. I mean, I don't know if it's the same as that, but we have F- FSC certified. I don't know if you have that there, but you know you want to make sure that you've like. If you cut down a tree, you're going to be replacing it and you're not, you know, taking from the Amazon or kind of endangered yep. and ancient forest. So when you're cutting down trees to fashion, you want to make sure that that's been done in a sustainably managed way. So that's the sustainable forestry. Um, and, yeah, it was really kind of just making sure we could trace everything. We knew everything was common and just trying to keep it in close proximity as possible. Because you've got to remember between each of those phase stages, you know, you've got packing and shipping, packing and shipping. Yeah. That's just more fossil fuels, more fossil fuels, more plastic, more, more energy, more plastic, more energy. So trying to keep it as close together was, you know, one of the big aims that we had. So in the end, you found your sourced your wool in Uruguay because you found yeah. a, a, you know, a nice organic wool uh, producer in Uruguay. Then uh, you yeah. found a mill in uh, Austria, was it, I think? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And together, and again, that was a, a, a mill in Austria that was open to what you were trying to do, so they already had yeah, some yeah. knowledge of this sort of field of sustainable manufacture. Yeah. Um, and so and you bought those two elements. It was almost out of luck that those two elements came together. Uh, yeah. And helped, I mean, trying to... Helped you, helped you complete the project, really. Yeah, I mean, trying to get the Uruguayan wool um, into manufacture was super difficult, actually, um, and it still is today because we found the right, like, beginning, but, like, sticking it all together has just been really complicated and, like, we don't want to just start shipping it all around the globe just to do, you know, to be able to use that wool. Um, so that was, like, a really complicated one, whereas with cotton, for instance, we found supply chains where, you know, like in Turkey, for instance, they have an infrastructure where they 
they grow a lot of cotton over there, so therefore they have spinners and weavers and manufacturers out there. Whereas Uruguay seemed to just have the sheep, but they didn't actually have, you know, the spinners and the weavers. So we kind of, you know, yeah, there's a lot of jigsaw pieces to put together to complete the puzzle, you know. And the truth is it's changing all the time, you know, because people shut down or they change or they change their minimum requirements or they want something else. So it's it's never ending, you know. Do we have much organic wool available in Australia? So the problem, so what I've learned about wool, actually, for the most part, as long as the farmers are doing things pretty well, it is organic wool versus, like, non-organic wool doesn't seem to have too much, like, differences, whereas, like, food, it's all about spraying chemicals and yep. stuff. In sheep farming, it's kind of like what medicine you can give the sheep and what you can't give them. So in I would say with wool, what you're not, I mean, organic is obviously a bit better, but it, I don't think it's totally crucial when it comes to climate change. But what you have over there is the, the muling. I don't know if you, you know about that, but um, you get fly strike. Yeah, yeah. muling. You get the fly strike in them, um, in your sheep, and that is the bit that um, you know we're completely against. Well, we're not against doing it, but without anaesthesia, we are. Okay. So that's the thing you guys have to watch out for. Because it is an essential part, I and mean, we've got a lot of flies in Australia, and fly strikes are yeah. hor- horribly painful thing for sheep to get. So yeah, so yeah. you would you would consider sourcing Australian wool if the if there was a controlled anaesthesia program for mulesing sheep. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So we do use some and we do use it in some of our knitwear um, okay. and we just make sure it's certified under, you know, make sure that that process hasn't happened. Yet. Do we have any mills left in Australia? Do you know that? Oh, that. I don't actually know. I I, I'd say probably not. Um, mm. I'm probably not the person to ask, no. but I'd say... Probably not, yeah. But, bit, but, bit of a shame know. if we don't, really, with all this yeah. wool here. Well, it, it's a, exactly that's the thing is what happened is we chased cheap labour around the, the you know the globe basically. Yeah. So we just went where was cheaper next. So you know in the UK we used to have a huge textile industry here, but obviously it got expensive. So we moved into Europe, then Europe moved into you know the Far East, etc. Yeah. And then that's how the whole supply chains became so disjointed. There's been reports over the years that there's been a bit of child labour involved with gathering some of the materials f- for fashion and for clothing. Have you got any evidence of that? Uh, I actually have first-hand evidence, which is very sad, but we buy under, like, very strict um, certifications when it comes to, you know, cotton, etc. Oh, I mean, any- anything, um, but we actually witnessed first-hand children in a field that was actually certified under um, the body that says that they're not going to do that and they allowed us to see it. So what that says to me is that's happening all the time and going on all the time, even if you're buying in a better way. And I guess that I guess the kind of awakening I had at that moment was also, you know, this is their livelihood too. So like it's very hard to judge like our standards on other families in yeah. other situations, you know, so it's really, really complicated um, you know, if you ask those families, would they want to change that? They would say no, because that's the only way they can, you know, manage their livelihoods. And what you have to remember is that I can't, like, manage how that country, you know, has its laws and authorities over paying living wages and child labour, etc. So chasing stuff around the globe and trying to, even if you're trying to do it the best way, it's just still not guaranteed. And so you just have to vet and check and ask the questions all the time. And it's really complicated, I've got a text here that says, uh, what's the costing for all this? I'm guessing it's uh, beyond normal person's price range, says Lou. Uh, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're sort of making high-end fashion, so it's quite expensive anyway. But yeah. Well, I suppose yeah. the question I would put to you is, um, when am I going to be, as a consumer, when am I going to be able yeah. to wear and buy, uh, synth- uh, 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 I suppose... Uh, Sustainable. 
Yeah, sustainable tracky decks. There you go. How about that? Yeah. Amy? Where, where am I going to be able to get my sustainable tracky decks? <laughs> so the truth is, like, we're a small company, right? Small company means like lots of surcharges, and so the price that you see from ours is part because we do it sustainably, but also part because we're small. So bigger companies can change and can get products to everybody at a much lower price than we have. But when you see garments for like, you know, for, I'm talking in pounds, but, you know, five pounds, ten pounds, like that shouldn't be happening. You know, when we go to the real cheap fast fashion stuff, like you've got to think about how many stages, how many countries, how many people's hands. Like there is just when something's so cheap like that, it just something bad has happened basically to the eyes of the planet or the people but there are bigger companies that can be doing this stuff properly and better and they can get it you to a you know i'd say you know at least half the price of what we're selling it at um so it is possible to get it out there at a much more kind of commercial level but um yeah if it's super cheap like really cheap then yeah i just say that's a no no go zone the thing is, with the, it's like anything, you spend a little bit more and the clothes will last you longer, the shoes will last you longer, whatever it is. So sometimes that, that investment that you're making is actually a good one just for your own budget, let alone for the environment. Um, I've got this... Well, and if you think about... Sorry, if you think about 100 million items being made and produced every single year, 100 billion, and then three out of five end up in landfill in the first year of purchase, that's like the statistic then, you know, if you think about if everybody just bought one instead of five, like, you can look at it that way, you know? I've got here, uh, there is a program regarding reporting of mules with anaesthetic. Uh, it's part of the Woodall Class Declaration. And, yes, there are still processing, processing plants in Australia, That's, which is nice to know. Good. Um, I just want to talk to you, because we've mentioned wool there, and you also mentioned fibre, and I imagine fibre is a particularly thirsty crop to grow and uses a lot of chemicals yeah. and stuff. Did you have trouble uh, sourcing organic cotton? Yeah, no, so organic cotton, there has been a big shift, so it is much easier to be able to buy now. Um, so we buy under the Global Organic Textile Standards Certification, and... Um, but I think uh, organic cotton still only makes up 1% of the total um, cotton produced in the world. So it's still tiny, but it is much easier to, like, it's kind of become something that is, you know, obtainable. Um, but, um, yeah, we need to scale that up massively, basically. So with the renewed interest, or now that we're starting to see this becoming a factor and the consumers are, are driving that perhaps, are we seeing uh, greater supply chains for the organic wool and organic cotton that you're sourcing? Yeah, there's definitely, I'd say that's where I see a big, the biggest shift. Like I don't see brands and, you know, publications and influence and celebrities shifting in the way that they, they probably need to in terms of like communication. But I definitely see kind of the innovation and tech that's happening at kind of material level. That's where I'd say that like we've started to see the needle move and, um, and whether that's in like, you know, organic natural fibres or like new innovations into how to re-recycle polyester and things like that. Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, like we use Tencel, for instance, and that's the cellulose-based fibre, but they have a closed-loop production, which basically means they re-recycle all the water and the chemicals. So I think it's like 99%. Um, so there is definitely tech and innovation happening at that level. Um and I'd say that's moving quite quickly. So hopefully more people can, or more brands, are able to use better fibres more easily, kind of year on year. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. I heard a text here that says, sheep have done as much damage to the Australian environment as the rabbit. 
uh, been buying bamboo socks, and I'm a shearer, says Matt. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. I want to ask you about denim because denim is a very popular yeah. fabric that we all use and yeah. a lot of people wearing yeah. jeans and stuff. But, again, denim's a, a particularly uh, a hardy fabric that we wear, but it also takes quite a bit of processing and perhaps not as yeah. good for the environment as uh, organic uh, <laughs> denim, if we can find that anywhere. Yeah, so that denim is totally true. But I have a, like a love for denim because, like you say, it's, cotton is a thirsty crop, and denim. You know, we want denim to look distressed, and that takes chemicals and you know and lots of effort. Um, so, like, I think yeah, there are problems in the production of it. But also, like, denim's like original design was workwear, right? That's yeah. why you've got like triple stitch seams and you've got rivets and things because the idea is that they were made to last, and they are still manufactured for the most part like that. So albeit that they have a bit of a bad rep in terms of, like, what it takes to make them. The truth is, like, I think it's 50% of the planet, like, any given day is wearing denim or is wearing jeans. And, like, when I think about my jeans and how long I've had them, like, you know, I can put the same pair of jeans on, like, every day for years, you know. So I think you have to look at longevity as well as looking at, you know, kind of the you know, the, yeah. the impact into making them. Um, but there are definitely, definitely lots of innovation and tech happening in the denim front from, like, creating distress looks from, like, lasers instead of, you know, chemical washing and things like that. And, um, and yeah, organic cotton is, you know, if you can get organic and regenerative cotton is even better than organic cotton. So if you can find that on the labels, like, I'd definitely say buy that over conventional. Speaking about labels, uh, our clothes labelled well enough so that we know, you know, their environmental value or where they're sourced from or any of that stuff? No, that's (laughs) something that really needs working on, you know. I think people have just got to disconnect. Like, when you think about fresh food, like, we all kind of know where that comes from, right? We've got that kind of, like, mental image of a field to our produce. Plus, it's printed on the packet, right? So, like, if you have, um, you know, a piece of fruit or something, it will tell you, like, where it's from. Um, But in... In clothing, I mean, you literally get in your label, like the, the fabric that it's made up of, and you get the made in country, and that's it. And when it says made in, it's literally talking about who sewed it. And actually, in often cases, sometimes it can just be the last finishing. So it could be where the last button was sewn on. And then everything that came before it just isn't written on the label. Mm. And so therefore, no wonder customers have lost the disconnect with, you know, clothing coming from farming or fossil mm. fuels or trees because they don't see it, you know. Does there need to be an international authority? Maybe the United, United Nations uh, Fashion <laughs> Department or something? There are, there are legislation. We're working on it. There's legislation happening. There's one in the EU that's happening. There's an American uh, one happening. And they're all quite different, and they've all got different ways of kind of trying to get brands to be traceable, transparent, and accountable. Um, and they're all kind of in progress at the moment. So none of them have been passed yet. So we don't really know exactly what, what that's going to look like. Um, but, yeah, I've it's got happening. Farmer Bill called in to say that he uses an anaesthetic for his musing. So that's nice to know. Thank you, Bill, nice. for letting us Thank know you. about that. Um, I've got here as well. This is an interesting one. Two people have sent this through, and I was going to ask it myself earlier. Uh, Mick and Andrew want to know about hemp. Is it hemp a fibre, a natural fibre that you looked at? Yeah, so hemp is is like, imagine cotton, but better. So it's kind of grown in the same way, but it doesn't take the same amount of water. Um, but hemp is a very um, kind of like, it's not niche, as in it's just, it, di- it didn't die, but like the, the, the desire for it died out quite a long time ago because it's quite scratchy in comparison to cotton, which you can get quite fine. So 
sort of brands and customers kind of went off it really um but it is making a bit of a comeback um and it is you know, there's, there's fibres like nettle and hemp, which are actually just so much better for the environment. Mm. And they are having a bit of a resurgence, but people kind of, it's a bit like linen, you know, you have to just accept it creases and you've got to go with luck, you know. I guess it's just people have to be happy to, to want to wear it. It can be thought of hemp as a bit of a, a rough texture. Um, so I, yeah. you know, is it the sort of fabric that you would consider for the high fashion stuff that you make? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I guess when it comes to, like, outer garments that are lined, like, we use, like, a one wool, for instance, which is a bit scratchy, but we make sure it's, like, lined. Um, you know, it, there is more innovation being done on it, but at the point where you can kind of have hemp done beautifully, we would definitely use it. You know, linen is the same, but I also just have a bit of a bugbear sometime with, let's say, you know, everything is, like, a way up, you know. Let's say you find the hemp, and it's a bit scratchy, so then you have to line it. Well, what am I lining it in? <laughs> and if the lining is, like another fibre that I've had in another, you know, sometimes it's just like, what is, you just have to keep applying kind of like logic and common sense to what you're doing and, you know, trying to make the best possible calls. Logic and common sense, that's got us humanity a long way so far, Amy, so yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, I've got Shane says, I research sustainable yeah. runners. I found all birds in yeah. the UK, plastic-free, uh, yeah. a bit expensive. Yeah. Had to get them flown here online. A difficult ethical conundrum, says Shane. Yeah, he's weighing up the... The, you know, having to fly, fly these things from, from another country. Uh, yeah, with, with that's what I mean about logic and common sense. You yeah. know, you just have to, like, the fact he's even doing that is amazing. He's trying to find the right thing. But, like, the fact he's even talking about that says, is it the right thing to do? You know, I guess it's just, you know, nobody's perfect. There isn't a perfect system. There's not a rule book that you can just shop from and, you know, you know exactly what you do. And you just have to try your best and try to make the best decisions. You know, where you can. Yep. Debrilla says, I'm wearing the same jeans and tops I wore 40 years ago because my theory is if it ain't ripped, it still fits. Why waste it? And I know that's something that you're encouraging people to do, to recycle Absolutely, clothes. Yeah. So, But look, just yeah. have a quick chat to Alice. Alice is rung in. G'day, Alice. Good evening, um, uh, Michael and Amy. I've just woken up and have found this very interesting conversation, but I get annoyed because I like to buy natural fibres, silk and, and cottons and what have you, and the linens. Well, the linens and the cottons are so thin that they're they're dreadful, even even in high designer stuff. Um, but the thing is that I get annoyed when you go to buy a cotton T-shirt and it's got a less stain in it. You go to buy cotton jeans, new ones, because I'm lose, lost weight and I've got, had to buy some new ones, and it's got a less stain in it. You cannot get without sort of, you know, a lot of really hard sourcing, um, straight cotton or linen or what have you. And we don't need elastane because it's a bit of an elastic and the, the clothes go out of shape anyway. What is, oh, look, I'll have to ask our guest, Amy, what is, what, what is elastane? I've never heard of it. Elastane is elastic. It makes it a bit stretchy. So you weave it into the fabric and... And actually, it is a problem. You know, you've got a nice natural fibre. Elastane is basically a synthetic, stretchy, additional yarn that you add in. And when you want to recycle products, the minute you mix them, like if you mix a natural with a synthetic, it's really hard to re-recycle them because somebody has to sort that out. You know, someone has to take the synthetic away from the, you know. So it is a problem, but also it depends on the garment. So, like, we can 100% make jeans that have 100% cotton with no elastane, and we do that. It's kind of the more traditional denim look but you know if you want a skinny jean then it has to have a last in or you're not going to be able to get it on um t-shirts i mean i don't know why you'd put a last in t-shirts if i'm honest unless it was a fitted t-shirt you know basically you need the last in for stretch so then it works in like fitted garments so it does have its purpose 
sometimes. Um, but I agree, you know, you have to be, as a designer, you should be asking what its purpose is and what its fit is. And therefore, do we need to do these things or do we not? And, you know, again, logic and common sense to what yeah. you're designing. Okay, thank you, Alice. Great question. Uh, I've got here two got two hemp jackets and a hemp T-shirt, and they're not scratchy. Thank you for sending that in. Okay. And I've got this one, too. This, I'll read this one to you. This person is the fashion industry equivalent of environmental virtue signalling, uh, turning up to the conference to tell us to be green in the private jet. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you getting much blowback from, from people? Because um, you know, you're sort of out on a bit of a... a, a campaign there to do what you're doing yeah. there's a lot of people who I would imagine a bit negative about the approach you're taking, you're getting much much criticism? I mean I think if you put yourself out there you know you do you're yeah. open to it all right you know I mean trolling is the real thing um, it's pretty depressing when you try and really hard but um, to be fair in this space for the most part I only get um, positivity because I think I'm just open and honest about everything you know we're not perfect I don't preach to anyone I'm just saying that this is what we're doing this is what we're working on I think the film if you watch it is quite humbling because it's just you know yeah, look, I, caravan I, kids I've got to say know. that I've got you know I, the film was I, I, you know not someone who's very interested in fashion at all I found it inspiring actually and uh, your story is incredible Amy and what you did not only you but your offside of there Chloe an amazing, yeah. amazing thing that you both have done. And anybody who's interested in the film, it's called Fashion Reimagined. Um, I've got here, if you're prepared to tolerate the pain of stilettos for a night on the tiles, then surely you can wear some <laughs> hemp. Thank you, John, for that one. <laughs> now, just quickly, Amy, uh, uh, if we, yeah. you've started this thing called Fashion Our Future. If people are interested in checking that out and taking some of the yeah. pledges there, how can we do that? Yeah, so um, I have to say, actually, it was a really big campaign that I started, and then um, I had a newborn at the time, and then COVID hit. So what I'd envisioned it to be, obviously never kind of uh, got to that that point, but it still lives on, and it lives on on, uh, the Instagram account, Fashion Reimagined, which is a film. And if you go to the highlights and the stories, you can see uh, the campaign there. And basically, in essence, it was me trying to break down all the kind of issues... uh, in the industry, and then how a solution for you guys to do something about it and take a search, so, yeah. So is there a website we can go to for Fashion Our Future if we type that into a Google search? No, you've got to go on Instagram, I'm afraid. <laughs> go on Instagram and search it. Hey, Amy, look, thank you again. Congratulations. It's been inspiring watching your film, thank watching you the film for having me. and seeing what you've been doing. Much appreciated. Thank Amy you so again. much.